All right, you guys can go ahead and be seated. My name's Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Plum Creek. So glad that you're with us. I want to uh, join those who are, or welcome those who are joining us online as well. So glad uh, that you're with us today. As I said, we're kicking off a brand new series. Now, you guys need to know that we have something in common. We've all done dumb things, right? We've all done dumb things. And so what I thought we'd do today is just kind of go around. We have, we're going to have to go quick, but we're going to all just share the dumbest thing that we've ever done. All right? So we're going to start right over here. No, we're not going to do that. Kind of get the juices going this morning. The very first absolutely brand new car that I ever purchased was a 1994 Geo Metro three-cylinder basically a tin can. But that baby could beat a Corvette off the starting line for the first 10 feet. That was a proven fact. Now, if you think that's dumb, I bought that car at 14% financing. And then to top it all off, I thought it would be a good idea to drive that car out here to the mountains. I still lived in Minnesota at the time. This is years and years ago. Pastor Doug and I drove up to Vail in that little tin can. He had his skis with him, and basically that, that tiny little car, that, those skis were wrapped around his face as we were driving up there, and no, no, uh, no, no fooling, it sounded like a weed whacker as we were driving up into the, uh, up into the mountains. Whee! Thing never quite ran the same after that. But we've all done dumb stuff. We've all made dumb decisions, foolish decisions. Maybe it happened in a moment. Maybe it happened over several years. And some of those decisions created embarrassment, but some of those decisions created scars. Contracts that we wish we never would have signed, relationships we wish we never would have started, investments we shouldn't have made, marriages we entered into, jobs we didn't take, business trips we never should have gone on. And we are still paying for some of those decisions today, and we wish we could go back and rewrite those chapters of our lives. And if you're like me, when we, when we look back, we wonder, how could I have been so blind? It's all so obvious. Why didn't I know better? And now when we see others making similar decisions, what we would consider poor decisions, maybe it's your kids or your grandkids, it could be a friend or a niece or nephew, we tell them, you don't want to do that. Trust me, I have been down that pathway. You don't want to go there. And they say the same things to us that we basically would have said 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Well, that's none of your business. And listen, I'm not hurting anyone. I can handle it. Nothing's going to happen. And actually, there's not even a Bible verse against it. And somehow back then we believed if we just followed our hearts, it was going to lead us to the right decisions. But our hearts deceived us. Can you believe that? Our hearts deceived us. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 17 of his, of his book, Jeremiah 17 verse 9, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And now many of us live with the regret and the guilt and the shame, and we wish we could just go back and do it all over again. And I don't know about you, but I don't need the prophet Jeremiah to tell me that my heart is deceitful. 
If I'm honest with myself, I know I can talk myself into anything. I can rationalize with the best of them. I can make the worst decision seem like the best decision. I can make the poorest choice look like the greatest choice. I can make a bad idea seem like a good idea. Next weekend, Pastor Doug's going to talk more about this whole idea of lying to ourselves. So how do we address this? And how do we begin to peel back the layers of self-deception? This weekend, we're starting a brand new series, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. And I'm very excited about this series because our decisions, whether they're big or whether they're small, our decisions determine the direction and the quality of our lives. Our decisions create the story of our lives. In fact, we're going to spend a whole weekend talking about legacy and talking about the story of our lives. And while nobody ever plans to complicate their life with bad decisions, far too many people don't plan not to. I'm going to say that again. Nobody ever plans to mess up their lives. But far too many don't plan not to. So during these next five weeks, we're going to focus in on one question every week. It's a question that will help equip you and me to make better decisions, better financial decisions, better relational decisions, better professional decisions, better whatever kind of decisions. And these five questions will help set you and me up for success in every season of our lives for the rest of our lives. And what I love about this series is that every weekend we will have a very tangible application. And we're also going to provide some uh, midweek prompts and and midweek reminders. And so if you want to be a part of that, take out your smartphone right now and you're going to text the word MORE to 888-530-5446. And what will happen is both this week and in the coming weeks, you'll get some reminders of what we talked about on the weekend. And we're also going to be pulling a lot of our thoughts from a new book by Andy Stanley of the same name, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. And I would highly, highly recommend that you buy this book on Amazon or wherever it is uh, that, that you buy books. And if you have kids or grandkids who are in the young adult age, all I can say is buy them this book. My hope for all of us is that by developing the discipline to pause and to ask these five questions that we're going to look at and to ask them often, it really, really will result in better decisions and fewer regrets for all of us. And who wouldn't want that? So here's question number one. What is the wise thing for me to do? That's going to be our main thought this weekend. What is the wise thing for me to do? And I want you to say that out loud with me, and I want you to pause, kind of like I've been pausing on the for me. Okay, you ready? Let's say it together. What is the wise thing for me to do? We've talked about this question before, but it is such an important question. I love this question. I've incorporated incorporated it into my life several, several years ago. What is the wise thing for me to do? It's the kind of question we need to revisit again and again and again. Now, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open up 
uh, or in your device, open up to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. And I am so grateful that God's Word gives us such great insight into this question. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christ followers who live in the city of Ephesus. Now, you can still visit the ruins of Ephesus in modern-day Turkey today. Now, here's what we know about ancient Ephesus. They had no regard for God. It was a very pagan city. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. The culture was anything but what you and I would consider moral or good. And here's what the Apostle Paul says to this group of Christ followers who are trying to live for God. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 15. Be very careful then how you live. And that little word for careful there, it means to be on the lookout. In other words, you can't be careless about your decisions. If you want to be, you know, if you want to get to the end of your life and be at the place where you want to be, Paul says you need to be on the lookout. You need to be careful. You need to be careful how you do your marriage, how you do your business practices, how you handle money. He says you need to be careful with your thought life and, and your morality, how you, da- how you handle dating and, and really how you handle all of your relationships. And then Paul goes on in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. You see, too often my temptation and your temptation is to ask, how close can I get to being immoral? without actually being immoral? How far can I go without it actually being illegal? How close can I get to an addictive behavior without actually becoming addicted? How close can I get to sin and not actually sin? But Paul says living like that, living like that is unwise. It's the unwise who say, well, if the bank is willing to loan me that amount of money, why should I say no? It's the unwise that say, well, it's consensual. And if it's consensual, then it's okay. It's the unwise who say, 40% return? Sign me up. It's the unwise that say, it was only one time I can handle it, or everyone's doing it. It's the unwise that say, how close can I get to the edge of disaster without actually going over the edge? And guys, is that going to be our standard? Is that how you and I are going to live our lives? Is that what we want to teach our kids or our grandkids or a niece or a nephew? We are God's children. And if we want to make better decisions and have fewer regrets with every opportunity and every invitation, we must begin to ask ourselves, what is the wise thing for me to do? Then Paul goes on in these verses. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. In other words, the time is short. So make the most of the opportunities that come your way. Paul was inviting them, and he's inviting you and me to make the most of, to redeem, to leverage our most important asset, our time. 
and to leverage it in such a way that it moves you and me toward a future that we really want. And then he goes on, goes on into verse 16. Be very careful then, he's saying again, don't be careless. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now what's he talking about? Well, what he's saying to them is, you don't live in a morally neutral culture. And guess what? You and I don't either. The days are evil. When's the last time you watched or heard a commercial that was encouraging you to be wise? Or to be self-controlled? Or to be content with what you have? Or to be godly? Every day you and I interact with a culture that encourages us in all kinds of creative ways to satisfy appetites that can never fully be satisfied. And now everything is right here at our fingertips, right? Everything is now just one click away. If we treat morality the way our culture says to treat morality, or if we fill our minds with what our culture says it's okay to fill our minds with, is that going to be an investment in our marriages? Or is that going to be a, a, a distraction from what we really wanted when we said, till death do us part? If we handle our dating relationships the way that the culture says to treat dating, dating, then we'll go as far as the other person is willing to go. Because again, if it's consensual, then it must be okay. If we handle our money the way that culture says to handle money, then we will, you know, max out every single credit card that gets sent our way, and we will do absolutely nothing to save or to invest for our future. The days are evil. And if we aren't careful, if we just kind of go along with what culture is saying, a culture that is anything but God-honoring, then we will pay a price for our carelessness. It's called regret. Now, the opposite is true as well, right? And that's what makes this question such a great question. Instead of asking, is it legal, or does the bank approve of it, or does it feel right, we can ask our question, what is the wise thing for me to do? And instead of regret, we can experience peace and joy and contentment. That's what makes this such a great question. But then Paul goes on. He's got one more thing to say. He wants to drive, his, drive home his point one more time. So in verse 17, he says, Therefore, do not be foolish, which is really just a polite way of, don't be a fool. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He's commanding these Ephesian Christ followers to understand God's will. Now, how do you command someone to understand something, right? I mean, think about it this way. Remember in math class when, when you're working on your math problem and you're like, I don't understand the problem. And so you raise your hand, the teacher comes over and you say, I don't understand. And she says, I command you to understand. And you're like, thank you. Thank you. That is all I needed. No, it never works that way. 
So what is Paul getting at? What is, he, what is he trying to say here? Well, what Paul is saying to the Ephesians and what he is saying to you and me is, I know your propensity to deceive yourself. I know your propensity to rationalize and to justify and to say, you know, everybody's doing it or there's not a verse in the Bible about it. I know your propensity to say, I'll stop and then just fill in the blank with whatever it is you're going to stop. I'll stop drinking, I'll stop vaping, I'll stop overeating, I'll stop flirting, I'll stop gambling, I'll stop holding grudges tomorrow. And so Paul is giving them and he's giving us a wake-up call. And he's saying, come on guys, quit playing games. Stop deceiving yourselves. Would you please just pause and for one minute understand, literally face up to what you know in your heart you ought to do? Would you face up to the truth that your heavenly Father who loves you and who is for you has something better for you in the way that you handle your relationships, in the way that you handle your your business practices, in the way you handle your morality or the way that you raise your kids or the way that you handle your health? You see, when we quit lying to ourselves, it's amazing what can happen. Everyone I know who has undergone a big lifestyle change because of a, of a health scare has virtually said some version of the same thing. I should have made these changes years ago. Translation, for years, I refused to face up to what I knew in my heart was true. Bankruptcy can do that too. So can receiving a letter from your spouse's attorney or getting a DUI. Something has the ability to scare us. Something has the ability to get our attention Unfortunately, that something sometimes doesn't only scare us, it can scar us as well. That's why this is such a great question. That's why we want to talk about it. Why not face up now to what you know in your heart is true? Why not ask this question, what is the wise thing for me to do? you've been around Plum Creek a while, you know that one of our favorite verses that we like to share is James 1.5, where James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. The way we say it around here is, God, James 1.5 me, give me wisdom. Because the truth is, we can't do any of what I'm talking about without the help of the Holy Spirit. We are children of God, and that means we are called to live our lives differently, but we have the Holy Spirit to to help us, to give us the wisdom. So what I want us to do is let's ask God to give us wisdom, and we're going to look at this same question now, but we're going to look at it from three different perspectives. Three different perspectives that will take all of what I've been talking about so, so far to a deeper and more personal level. So first of all, 
Let's ask God, what is the wise thing, and I'm going to say for you, what is the wise thing for you to do in light of your past experiences? Not in light of what everyone's doing, not in light of what's legal or moral or culturally acceptable, no. What's wise for you to do in light of the last time? In light of the last time, what's the wise thing, not for everybody, what's the wise thing for you to do. You see, your personal history is unique to you. And your personal history makes you more prone to temptation in some areas than in others. And what's safe for some people is not safe for you. There are, uh, there are activities that, that some can find, you know, easy to walk away from, but not you. Every decision, every invitation, every opportunity that comes your way needs to be filtered through this question. What is the wise thing in light of my past experience? What is the wise thing for me to do? I know people who have stopped drinking or have stopped putting themselves, you know, in situations where alcohol is prevalent because they know it would not be wise for them to be there. I know men who have canceled their premium channels because it was way too much of a sexual temptation. I know women who have given up their Facebook accounts, singles who have quit dating for a season, people who have quit gambling. I know people who have actually taken their credit cards and put them in a block of ice. They have frozen their credit cards in a block of ice so that it slows down their ability to spend. Now, if you're a Dave Ramsey fan, you would just say, why don't you just cut up your credit cards? That, that would maybe be easier. These individuals had the courage to face up to God's will for their lives. They knew their past set them up for failure, so they took specific, even drastic steps of action to make sure they were being wise. Now, are there Bible verses to back that stuff up? Not necessarily. Is there anything morally wrong or sinful with any of those things? Again, probably not, unless you know it's an area of weakness for you. Because remember, Paul says to understand what the Lord's will for you is. We're not going to always understand what the Lord's will for anybody else is, but we are called and we are commanded to understand what the Lord's will for us is. So in light of your past experiences, financially, relationally, morally, professionally, what is the wise thing for you to do? Secondly, let's ask God, what is the wise thing for you to do in light of your present circumstances? You see, we are all faced with decisions every single day, right? Some are big decisions, some are little decisions, some are life-altering decisions. And the decision you want to make today may be fine later on, but right now, it wouldn't be wise. And if you're not careful, you'll allow the, the pressures and the fears and the circumstances of today to drive you to make decisions that you'll regret tomorrow. Said another way, your present will soon be your past, 
which will ultimately affect your future. So in whatever big decision you're facing today, as you consider your frame of mind or your emotional state or even your physical health, as you consider your current responsibilities and, and your commitments, things that, you know, later on, it may not be a factor. As you examine the current status of your finances and your career, as you consider your little kids at home or your not-so-little kids who are getting ready to head off to college, in light of your present circumstances, what is the wise thing for you to do? And then thirdly, let's ask God, what is the wise thing for you to do in light of my future hopes and dreams? You see, we all have a mental picture of, of where, where we want to end up someday, where we want our future, how we want our future to end up. So when you think about your marriage and where you want it to be in the future, or when you think about your finances 5, 10, 20, 30 years from now, where do you want them to be? When you think about your children and the relationship that you want with them someday, when you think about the man or the woman that you want to marry, when you think about your career, when you think about your pathway to becoming a more mature follower of Jesus, what are the steps and priorities and investments that you need to be making today? We have all seen someone that we care about trade his or her dream for something far far short of what they were hoping for. Too much debt, too much alcohol, too many, too many risks, too many relationships, too many nights out, too many missed classes, too many lines crossed. You see, asking this question with your future in mind, it shines a huge spotlight on all the typical excuses. Things like, I'm not hurting anyone, I can handle it. People do it all the time. It's not illegal. Nothing's going to happen. But I would venture to say that most of us are old enough to recognize that the unwise decisions of our past, not all of them, but many of them, have robbed you, have robbed me, of at least a portion of our hopes and dreams. And if you could write a letter or, or somehow go back in time and talk to your, young, to your younger self, you would do your best to convince yourself that what you are doing is not going to take you where you ultimately want to go. So in light of your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for you to do? I said this earlier, but it needs to be said again. Nobody plans to mess up their life. Nobody stands at the altar on their wedding day and says, I think I'll have an affair in a few years. I think I'll devastate her, devastate him. I, I think I'll crush my kid. And by the way, think of all the money that divorce is going to, you know, all the, all the money I'm going to spend on all of this. That's going to be awesome. Nobody does that. Nobody holds their sweet little newborn and says, 
I think I'll make this little baby boy so codependent on me that he won't be able to do anything without me, and when I'm gone, he'll be a total failure. Nobody does that. Nobody says, I'm going to be so harsh and so controlling with my kids that they'll be in counseling for years and years and years, and when they're grown up and adults, they'll want nothing to do with me. No teenage girl plans to get pregnant. Nobody plans to get addicted. Nobody plans to file for bankruptcy. But look around. There are messes everywhere. There are messes in our friends' lives, our co-workers' lives, our kids' lives, our families', families lives, our lives. There are messes everywhere. Now, for the follower of Jesus, there is great news, Right? And the great news is, because of what Jesus did for us, even if you've made a mess of things, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's grace abounds. His forgiveness is real. And yet, the consequences and the regrets of our unwise decisions are real as well. So I'll say it again. Nobody plans to mess up their life. But far too many people don't plan not to. And Paul would say to you and me, come on, guys. Stop deceiving yourself. We're children of God. Stop, you know, being foolish. The days are evil. So as we head into our day, and as we think about our next discussion with our spouse, or maybe it'll be a family discussion, as we prepare for our work week, or maybe it's just going to be a time of, of hanging out with our friends, imagine if we had applied this question to our lives 10 years ago. Think about how things would have turned out differently. Imagine if we had applied this question to our lives three years ago, or even Three months ago, think of the money we'd still have. Think of the relationships we'd still have. Think of the pain and the heartache we could have been delivered from. So as we kick off this series about living lives with better decisions and fewer regrets, guys, let's make the better decision. Let's recognize how much our Heavenly Father loves us. Let's stop deceiving ourselves and face up to what the Lord's will for us is. And let's do ourselves a favor and ask the question, in light of my past experiences and my present circumstances and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do. Would you guys please stand with me? We're going to prepare to worship and I'll lead us in a word of prayer. And Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is true. And thank you that your Holy Spirit guides us. Thank you that you want to give us 
more wisdom. Father, teach us not to trust ourselves. But Father, give us the courage to face up to what we likely already know in our heart we need to do. And then give us the courage to do it. Father, we worship you. We love you. We make much of your name. And it's in Jesus' name.